We are going to turn again this morning to Matthew chapter 6 and to the ninth verse. Matthew 6, we'll begin reading again in verse 9. Jesus says, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we do again hallow your name. We pray that this very service would be a hallowing of your name. It would be an opportunity for your kingdom to advance, uh, for us to learn your will, particularly right now, about prayer, um, for you to feed us on our daily spiritual food. God, we pray that you would forgive us where we have so often uh, neglected prayer uh, and that you would help us to avoid this temptation. Speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the great privileges that we have as Christians, one of the great reasons Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for us is so that we might be brought to God, that we might come to God and do so with boldness in prayer. And so it's a good thing for us to study what Jesus says about coming to God with boldness in prayer. And so we began last week, what will Lord willing be, a five-week verse-by-verse look at the Lord's prayer. And we noted several characteristics of the prayer in general, of which I want to remind you. Uh, First, we said it is an intimate prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father, the one who loves us, the one who will not give us a stone when we ask for bread. It's an intimate prayer. We said also that it's a reverent prayer. We are praying to our Father, but we are to remember that our Father is in heaven. We are to come to him with appropriate respect, therefore. It's also a plural prayer. It's our Father and our daily bread and our debts and so on. Jesus reminding us that we ought not merely pray by ourselves and for ourselves, but with other believers and for other believers. We said also that this Lord's Prayer is a model prayer, and we spent a good bit of time on that. It's a model prayer. It's not meant, first of all, to be recited, but mainly to be used as a template. Jesus is not putting the exact words of prayer in our mouths here. Uh, Mainly what he's doing is putting the right categories for prayer into our minds so that we can pray these kinds of things in our own words. We ought to be regularly praying in our own words for the hallowing of God's name in verse 9 and the advancing of his kingdom and his will in verse 10 for our own personal needs in verse 11 for the forgiveness of our sins in verse 12 and for the Lord's help in overcoming them. All of that in our own words. The Lord's prayer is not a rote prayer. It is a model prayer. And then we said in the fifth place that this is a God-centered prayer. The first three requests that we are taught to make are not about our needs or our wants or our wishes, but the Father's name and the Father's kingdom and the Father's will. Our prayers ought to reflect that balance. 
That doesn't mean that every prayer must begin in exactly the same way or that we must always pray for these things in just this order. But what Jesus is teaching us, I think, is that if our prayers are mainly me-centered, or even if they're mainly other people-centered, we're not praying in the way Jesus teaches us here in Matthew 6. If our prayers are mainly about things on the horizontal plane and not often about things on the vertical plane, then we're not following Jesus' instructions as he's given them. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will, those three things are always to be on the forefront of our minds when we come to God. Not to the exclusion of praying for our own needs, but not to be pushed to the margins either. Just to elaborate on that a bit, think about how exhausting it can be to have a conversation with someone who only ever wants to talk about him or herself. They only want to talk to you about their kids or their job or their team or their problems or their projects and so on. And they never stop to ask you about your children or your job or what's on your heart. Isn't that exhausting? Don't do that to God. Don't sit down before God only intent on talking about yourself. Now, of course, God is not like us. He does not need you to talk to him about his agendas. God doesn't need anything at all, does he? So if you sit before God and only talk about yourself, God will not be in heaven sort of wringing his hands saying, poor, poor old God, no one asked me how I'm doing today. But though God doesn't need you or me to talk to him about the things that are important to him, just think of what a poor conversation partner we could be with our Heavenly Father And what exactly we communicate to him if in prayer we only always talk about our daily bread and our debts and so on. Our prayers ought to be God-centered. And along those lines, Jesus has given us three God-centered categories. We began looking at them last week. Three things we ought regularly to be praying. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As I said, we began talking about those last week as we looked at the very first of those three God-centered requests. We thought about God's name and how God's name equates with God's character, his reputation, his person, all of which are to be treated as holy. And Jesus is saying we ought to pray along those lines. We, our families, our church, our culture ought to treat God's name as holy, ought to revere and honor God's name, and we should pray that we would. And often... In the midst of our prayers, we would be wise simply to stop and hallow God's name right then and there. To include with our requests, praise. Father, before I even make any requests, I just want to say to you how good you are, how wonderful you are, how amazing you are. Hallowed be your name. That's the first thing Jesus teaches us to pray. But this morning, I want to look in depth at those other two God-centered requests concerning God's kingdom and his will. So first, all of this in verse 10, let's think about the phrase, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, we are taught to pray. And the first question we need to ask is, what is God's kingdom? What is Jesus referring to here? What is this thing that we are taught to pray into being? Sometimes we may read these words in Matthew 6:10 and find ourselves praying for the coming of Jesus' physical, earthly reign in this world. Jesus is coming to reign on this earth, is he not? He is coming to establish an eternal kingdom wherein righteousness dwells. 
And Jesus often speaks about this kingdom in the Gospels and particularly in this Gospel of Matthew. A day is coming, he says in Matthew 13, when the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. I think he's referring to his kingdom on this earth when he returns. When he comes, Jesus says in chapter 25, he will say to his people, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the kingdom on the lips of Jesus often refers to that kingdom he will set up when he comes again. His reigning physically and finally in a new heavens and a new earth. So with that in mind, Matthew 6.10 Do you ever pray that God would hurry that kingdom along? Do you ever pray that the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ and that he would reign forever and ever? Of course, we know that he will. We don't have to pray for that. It will happen. But we're taught here to pray that it would come. Peter taught us that we should look for and hasten the coming day of the Lord, that we should speed it along. And one of the ways that we can do that is by praying, Lord, let that kingdom come. The last prayer that's recorded in the Bible in Revelation 22 is that kind of prayer. Amen, come, Lord Jesus. And I think this is partly what Jesus has in mind when he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. He wants us to pray as we sometimes sing, Lord, Haste the day when the faith will be sight. Haste the day when the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll and the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Haste that day. Come, Lord Jesus. Come in your kingdom. Haste the day when it will be on earth as it is in heaven. But then there's another way that Jesus uses the word kingdom in the Gospels and in the Gospel of Matthew. Sometimes, yes, he uses the word kingdom, as we've been saying, to refer to his future, physical, final reign in the new heavens and the new earth. But many other times, the word kingdom refers to the advance of the gospel even now, in this earth, in human hearts. Over and over again, for instance, in this book of Matthew, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's in your midst. It's right at your doorstep. And that's a different definition of the word kingdom, isn't it? When Jesus speaks of the kingdom that way, he's referring to the way the kingdom is already coming. Any and everywhere that the king begins to reign in human hearts. The kingdom is coming and someday finally the kingdom will come. It's just like our salvation, isn't it? We have been saved, but we are constantly being sanctified until one day the process will be complete. And that's the way the kingdom is. The kingdom is constantly coming little by little in this world, and someday it will come fully and finally. But many times Jesus speaks not just of the full and final kingdom, but of its coming even now. Anywhere that Jesus is reigning as king, we find the advancement of his kingdom. So if Jesus is king in your life this morning then the kingdom has come to you. And if Jesus is king in this local church, then we form a little outpost of his kingdom. And indeed, under this definition of the kingdom, there are little kingdom outposts 
in every nation on this globe, though not yet in every people group within those nations. But in thousands of places this morning where the gospel is going forth, the kingdom is coming because Jesus is constantly gaining new subjects all the time as people repent towards God and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And his kingdom comes. Have you repented towards God and placed your faith in Jesus Christ as king of your life, as forgiver of your sins, as your only hope to be in that final kingdom? Has the kingdom come to you? It would. This kingdom would come, would advance, even this morning, if some who are here who have never submitted to Christ as king would do so. And so it ought to be our prayer that even today the kingdom would come among us. But back to the prayer request in verse 10. I think it's primarily this reality that Jesus is teaching us to pray about. We ought to pray for that final earthly kingdom. But I think Jesus, when he says to pray your kingdom come, is primarily teaching us to pray about this slow advance of the kingdom as the gospel goes out even now. He's teaching us to pray that the gospel would advance, that more and more people would give their allegiance to King Jesus, that more and more knees would bow, and more and more tongues would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's what we're asking for when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come in Cincinnati. Let it come in the United States. Let it come on the mission field. We're praying for the advance of the gospel. And again, this phrase, your kingdom come, is not just a mantra that we're to repeat verbatim. Jesus doesn't intend for us to use these three English words as a sort of catch-all gospel prayer to be recited very quickly once a day. These words are just a heading of a whole category of prayers that we could be praying for gospel advance. There are all sorts of requests that will arise very specifically if we're serious about praying for the coming of God's kingdom. But where do we start? If we're going to pray for the advance of the gospel, and we're going to do so not just in generic terms or rote terms, but specifically pray for the advance of the gospel, for whom should we pray? For what should we pray? Is there a list that maybe the church publishes that will tell me how I should pray for the advance of God's kingdom? Well, not exactly. But let me give you, if you're wondering what should I pray for related to the advance of the kingdom, let me give you a starting place. I don't want to suggest that you slavishly cover the outline that I'm about to give you every day as though this were the only way to pray for the advance of God's kingdom. But if you want to know one way, let me suggest to you Acts chapter 1 verse 8 as a stimulus point to help you pray for the advance of the gospel kingdom. Some of you may turn to Acts 1.8. Some of you may remember it. That one verse spoken in the words of Jesus is a topic sentence for the entire book of Acts. There Jesus told his disciples famously, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. I say that's a topic sentence for the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, you will find that that's exactly how the kingdom advanced as that book unfolds. The apostles first filled all Jerusalem with their preaching. And then they branched out into Judea. 
And then a man called Philip took the gospel even further afield into Samaria. And eventually Philip and Paul and others began taking the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. And I simply suggest to you that that outline for how the kingdom spread in the book of Acts might serve you well as an outline for praying for the kingdom's advance in our own day. Thinking along the lines of your own local Jerusalem, your own neighborhood, workplace, church, family. Thinking in terms of a little bit wider sphere of influence, Judea, maybe our our larger city and region. And then Samaria, maybe the rest of our country. And then eventually stretching your prayers out to the remotest parts of the earth, which are the same for us as they were in Acts 1-8, the mission fields of this world. If you want to begin praying for the concerns of God's kingdom, but aren't sure where to start or what to pray for, start with those four concentric circles, working your way outward. Make sure, first of all, that you pray for the gospel's advance in your own Jerusalem, in your own backyard. If we're not praying for our neighbors or our co-workers or our family members to be saved, it's hard to imagine that we're going to pray too seriously for the people at the ends of the earth. So pray that God's kingdom would come in your own little Jerusalem, in your own relationships, in your own neighborhoods. This will mean praying surely for specific people who need to know Christ. It may also mean praying for a specific street that you live on or even your neighborhood as you go on your daily walk or the building that you live in. You'll do well to pray, too, that God will give you opportunities to spread the news of Jesus with your own lips. That you won't just pray about the kingdom, but that you will spread it yourself. But however you do it, pray, plead with God that his kingdom would come to your Jerusalem, to your immediate sphere of influence, to your street, to your neighborhood, to your office, to your building, to your family. Pray for your Jerusalem. Along those lines, pray for this church as well. Pray that we would be faithful with the gospel here in this neighborhood. That God would bring us guests and give us relationships outside this building for sharing the gospel. Pray that God would make me faithful in preaching the gospel with the Spirit sent down from heaven. And pray that people would be converted. The Jerusalem all around this building is utterly without hope and without God in the world. And we must plead with our Father concerning this locality. Your kingdom come here. But then let us also pray your kingdom come concerning our Judea, our larger city and region. Do you know of other gospel preaching churches in this region? Maybe where your friends attend or where your family attends or where you used to attend. Pray for those churches the same way that you would pray for this one. Pray also for the gospel outreaches in our city that you know of and that we support. City Gospel Mission, reaching out to the homeless. Prodigal Ministries, reaching out to homosexuals. Pregnancy Care, reaching out to young mothers with the gospel and the message of life. The Baptist Collegiate Ministry and so on. Pray for this little gathering of pastors which I, in which I get to participate. These men, most of them in small struggling churches that they would not lose heart. But pray, Father, Cincinnati, greater Cincinnati, the tri-state area needs Christ. So let your kingdom come in this city. Let it come in this region, in our local Judea. And then you can also pray your kingdom come regarding our Samaria, our, our even wider neighborhood. Think of the United States as a whole. 
Do you have lost friends who live in other cities and states? Pray for them alongside your current neighbors and co-workers who are lost. Pray that God's kingdom would come to them wherever they live. For some of you, there is a church or a pastor that is in some other location that is dear to you because you grew up there or you went to that church when you were in college or used to live in that place. And you may want to pray for those churches in our broader nation. that God's kingdom would come there, that he would bless the preaching of his word there. Someday soon, if the Lord wills, we will have several of our former members out leading in churches all around the country and perhaps around the globe. And we will want, when that day comes, to pray for those young men as well. And perhaps there's some city or state that you have visited somewhere along the line on vacation or to see a loved one. And ever since that place, that city has had a key spot in your memory. And you could turn those memories into prayers that God's kingdom would come in that place. We can pray, too, for ministries that, that bring the kingdom uh, across our whole nation, like Revive Our Hearts, where Monica works, or like the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where our students are studying. There are all sorts of ways in our broader nation where we can be praying that God's kingdom would come. Right now, in New York City, we can be praying that the confluence of the hurricane and the churches there that are reaching out with the gospel of Christ would mean that God's kingdom would advance in New York and New Jersey like never before. And then, too, let us not only pray for our Samaria, for our own country, our own part of the world, but even for the remotest parts of the earth. Father, let your kingdom come in China in Indonesia, in Nigeria, among the first peoples of Canada, and so on. These are the kinds of things we ought to pray. And we can be more specific than just naming nations, right? Some of you will want, as I've mentioned before, to get a copy of Operation World, where you can pick a nation like Indonesia or Nigeria or China or Canada and open up and read all sorts of specific prayer requests that can be prayed for the advance of the kingdom in that nation. I hope some of you will get this book. If you want a copy and you don't know how to get a copy, I will get one for you. You can use this daily. It's a daily calendar. You could use it weekly or just when the Lord puts it on your heart. Others of you um, will want to be even more specific than that and pray very specifically for the four cross-cultural missionary works that we support as a church. The Melkotes among the Navajo tribe, the Epps in the Amazon Basin in Brazil, David and Tiffany in Central Asia, and the Pastors Training Institute in Ethiopia. God has blessed us to know the names and faces and very specific prayer requests of these people who are about advancing his kingdom in the remotest part of the earth. Each Sunday, one of them is highlighted in a little prayer page during our prayer meeting. And each Sunday, you can find one of their faces along with one of the faces of someone that we support more locally in the back of your bulletin as well. Pray for these people who are advancing God's kingdom in the remotest parts of the earth. Now let me summarize what I've said. What we've been saying, big picture, is that we ought to pray that Christ's kingdom would come, that the gospel would advance, that more and more people would bow their knees and confess with their tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the main thing. And then underneath that, I've suggested Acts chapter 1, verse 8 as a stimulus, as an outline for praying more specifically in that regard. Starting at your own Jerusalem and working your way out through Judea and Samaria and even eventually to the remotest parts of the earth.
But now I want to say that if you prayed for all the various individual requests that I've just suggested, you'd probably need a couple of hours every day just to do it. Just for this one part of the Lord's Prayer. If you prayed for all the suggestions that I made, locally, nationally, internationally, it could be overwhelming. Some of you may have the free time to pray your way around the world every day in 120 minutes. And would that some of us who have the free time to do it would do it. But many of us won't have time to do that, to run through all the different sorts of things that I've just mentioned. And so I want to rescue you now by reminding you that my aim is not that you pray for every item that I've just mentioned, but that you might focus on one or two items in each category that I've mentioned. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I mentioned bunches and bunches of different specifics so that you might be moved to pray for a few of them. So maybe when you get to that secluded place for your time alone with the Lord each day, you can just rehearse Acts 1-8 in your mind and pray for one or two gospel concerns in each of those expanding circles. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. Or maybe each day you will pray for one of those expanding circles. Maybe one day you'll pray for Jerusalem, and then the next day Judea, and then the next day Samaria, and the next day the remotest parts of the earth. Some of you perhaps already have a very different plan in place for praying for the advance of God's kingdom. And if it's working for you, don't let me deter you from that. The main thing in Matthew 6.10 is that we pray for God's kingdom, not how or in what order. So however you do it, whether you use Acts 1.8 as a model or whether you do some other way, we must all pray, Jesus says, that God's kingdom would come. So you think it out on a daily basis out of all the possibilities for prayer that I've mentioned and dozens more that you can think of on your own. What does God want you to pray about? What sorts of kingdom opportunities has God put in your path and on your heart? Who do you want to see saved? What missionaries has God put on your heart? What neighborhood or nation has he burdened you with? Whatever or whomever it may be, turn those burdens into prayer. Find time in your daily prayers to turn your eyes out to the fields that are white unto harvest and to pray that God's kingdom would come in those fields. We must be people of prayer if we want the gospel to advance. So Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. And then in the next place, he teaches us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's name, God's kingdom, now God's will. And this third request is quite simply a request that God would so move that mankind would do his will, that mankind would obey his law, even now in this world, as it is being obeyed in the next world. That's a big request, isn't it? That earth would look like heaven doesn't look very much like heaven does it and yet we are to pray that it would now ultimately it will happen as we said in the first part of verse 10 when Christ returns and inaugurates his final physical kingdom on this earth then it will be said for sure that God's kingdom has come and that now his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven 
But just like the coming of that kingdom, so ought the changing of mankind's will to match the will of the Father. So it ought to be coming gradually and slowly, changing all the time through our prayers. Until that day, as John Stott put it, we ought to pray that earth would look more and more like heaven. That's what Jesus is saying here. And let me say to you that those sorts of prayers, that earth would look more like heaven, begin very close to home, don't they? They ought to begin with ourselves. We ourselves don't always do God's will as we should, do we? And even when we do obey God's will, do we always do it quite so immediately and completely and happily as it's done in heaven? I don't. So we need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray Matthew 6:10b for ourselves. We need to ask the Father to help us do his will on earth as it is in heaven. And then we need to be willing to act. We need to pray about our besetting sins. We need to pray about the decisions that lie ahead of us. We need to pray that God would give us self-control and so on. You ever pray that for yourself for your own sanctification? It's easy to look around and see all that's wrong with everybody else and to pray that the kingdom would come and that your, God's will would be done in, in their lives. And we should pray that. We'll get to that. But we ought to pray that for ourselves, oughtn't we? God, help me do your will. I stink in this area. Help me to do your will as it's being done in heaven. Or I'm really succeeding in this area, but I see that I need your help. If I'm going to continue, help your will to be done in my life as it's done in heaven. This is part of what it means to pray this way to God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in me. But we also need to pray along these lines for others too, don't we? Your will be done, Father. For instance, we need not only to expect our children to do God's will and to discipline them when they don't do God's will, but we need to pray that they will do God's will. Because we cannot make them do it on our own, can we? We need to say, Father, I can't even control my own heart, much less this child's. Please tame his heart. Please mold her to do your will. The same thing can be said of our co-workers and our family members, even our brothers and sisters in the church who aren't doing God's will. Sometimes we talk to them about their ungodly behavior, and that can be helpful. Far too many times we talk to other people about their ungodly behavior, and that's a very little profit usually. But the one we really ought to talk to when we see someone who's not doing God's will is God, right? He's the one who can help them. God, let her do your will. Help him begin to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. We ought to say the same about our nation as a whole, and particularly in this election season. We've all talked about the election. We've talked to one another about it. We've talked to people on the phone about it, or maybe who've come to our front door about it. But have we talked to God about it? Have we said to God, your will be done. Do your will. Help us to know your will. Help us as a nation to know and to do your will. And there are all sorts of other issues, not just people, but issues in our world that call for prayer. There are all sorts of dark corners in which God's will is patently not being done. For instance, it is not God's will that babies be sucked out of their mother's wombs and killed as they are a million a year in our country. It's not God's will that teenage girls be kidnapped in Asia and sold as prostitutes and slaves. 
It's not God's will that divorce overtake and ruin our friends or that children be abused. It's not God's will that his name be blasphemed and his church caricatured on television. And it's not his will that churches act in such a way that makes it easy for television to do that to us. It's not God's will that churches preach false gospels all across our land and that we export those false gospels just the way that we export other goods. We must pray about these things. God, there's so much that's wrong in this world. There's so many areas in this world where your will is not being done. Help us to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. And then we must be willing, if God should make us part of his answer, to act. We must be willing not only to pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but to put our boots on and get out and do his will on earth as it is in heaven. And yet the message this morning is about prayer, isn't it? And so I feel that I should remind you that though we must be busy doing, we must not be so enamored with our ability to do that we fail to call on God to do what only he can do. That's part of the great American problem, isn't it? It's probably not just an American problem, but we do suffer from it. We like to do more than we like to pray. We Americans are action people. We're go-getters. That's one reason why we've arrived at the place of world leadership that our nation currently enjoys, because we have been, for years, a nation full of doers, inventors, actors. And American churches are much the same. We like to do things, and that's good, isn't it? We ought to be busy doing God's will. And we ought to strive to do it and to see our culture do it on earth as it is in heaven. But... What Jesus is teaching us here is that striving is not enough. Because, as he says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we American Christians, myself at the top of the list, haven't always learned that lesson too well. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I've told you before, I think, of the Chinese Christian who visited America, and when he was asked what impressed him most about our country, he said, the amazing things that Americans can accomplish without God. In other words, he had seen in American culture and presumably in American churches lots of doing, lots of attempts to do God's will, perhaps even, but not very much praying that God would make his will be done. And in the long run, that doesn't work, does it? If we're the ones doing it all by ourselves and never pausing to ask God to do what only he can do alongside of us, we may accomplish a great deal in our eyes, but it will be, as the Chinese Christian said, without God. And if it's done without God, Jesus says, it's nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need God's help. We cannot do his will as individuals, as a church, as a nation without God's help. Is there some example of that in your life right now? You're pretty sure you know what God's will is. Maybe you're right about what God's will is. And you are trying really hard to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. And it doesn't seem to be panning out for you. 
It doesn't seem to be working. You keep stubbing your toe. You keep spinning your wheels. You keep finding yourself frustrated. There could be multiple reasons for that, but among those multiple, let me just ask you, have you stopped to pray about what you're trying to do? Now, I know you're trying to do God's will, and so God will be with you, right? Well, have you stopped to ask him to be with you? Have you stopped to say, Father, I'm trying to do your will on earth as it is in heaven, but let me now pray, Father, your will be done. Please let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you paused to admit, Father, try as I might, I can't do this without you. Without your help, there won't be any power, there won't be any strength, there won't be any blessing. So please come and let your will be done in this situation. I wish that I myself would better learn the lesson of John 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But one of the ways that I can be sure to learn that lesson, one of the ways I can be sure that I do not fail to try and do life or that I do not try and serve God apart from Jesus is if I will simply spend much time on my knees in prayer, making myself remember apart from Jesus I can do nothing. Pray then, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 9. Pray then and do it in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.